And I'm Abby. I'm Josh. I'm a licensed social worker and therapist at Still Point. And I'm Abby Parker, a licensed mental health counselor at Still Point as well. Josh, what are you going to teach me about connection today? <laughs> me? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, we've talked about before how like, we're never not connected, so we're always connected. I mean, granted, everybody wants their own type of connection and what that means to them and what degree like that will be or look like. I mean, so that's always a variable. But yesterday, we kind of were talking about how there's a wide versus narrow kind of perception of connection. Tell me about that. What's the difference between wide versus narrow connection? And what I mean by wide versus narrow is like, I mean, obviously it's going to be our perception of, of connection or what we allow connection to be to us. So like a wide from, in my opinion, is more unconditional. We are allowing ourselves to experience a wider variety of connection within partnership where a more narrow perspective of connection is at times more codependent. And I mean, often what that looks like is like you've been hurt. There's been a lot of things that have happened. The stories that we've created around connection, we've not allowed ourselves to see as much of what connection can be. So we've kind of narrowed the frame into a space of where we feel safe. This is what connection can be for me and to me, because beyond these points is a space where I've been hurt before, where the story that I'm telling myself and the belief that I have is that outside of this believed safe space will get me hurt. So I guess wide for me is more an unconditional willingness to form partnership, be independent, have boundaries, be differentiated, where the more narrow is generally more codependent, generally comes with the stories of I abandon myself, I abandon others, others abandon themselves for me, and or they abandon me. And Therefore, outside of this safe space of codependence, at times that can be hostile codependence, connection really isn't seen as a possibility. And I think that's so interesting how the stories impact how we see the ability or the possibility of our connection, whether that be with ourselves or someone else. And I really like how you described it. I can see it visually. Like if I'm narrowed in or focused in not only connecting with someone in one way, then the possibilities of what I can experience are limited. Or I set my expectation to be like this very minute thing. Like I, like I think I need this or I want someone to do this. Then it, it limits it. And then with the wide, 
you have a lot more room to explore, but it can be a lot more uncomfortable because you don't know what can happen. You don't know what's next. There's this unknowing that comes with it. And you do have to maneuver within the conflict or change or how you engage with that experience of connection. And I like the word that you use, maneuver, because I think in a wide perspective of connection, like there is room to maneuver. You give yourself and your partner more liberty to meet each other in different ways, whereas like if you are operating from a more narrow perspective of what connection can be, then it's often very conditional about Mm -hmm. how things have to look and can really create a lot of conflict within a relationship because, I mean, and there, again, it goes back to that, you abandon yourself from me and meet my needs or X, Y, Z, and whatever that story continues into. But yeah, I do think maneuver is a really good way of kind of depicting what is possible within each view. And I think it gets really confusing of what's possible in each view. Sure. Because a lot of times our fears are those stories. Like the fears are dictating what we think is going to happen or what we don't want to see happen. And it it really does cut us off from being able to expand or be open to what we could receive in that unconditional loving space. I was going to ask you, Josh, do we have an experience of a wide connection, a narrow connection, both? Like where do, do, where does our relationship fall on that spectrum? I feel like our relationship is pretty wide because I feel like we give each other liberties to show up as we are. We don't really expect the other to meet us in certain ways that are making us feel a certain type of way. I mean, yes, we have had conversations about this would be more helpful or whatever, but it's not in a way where like we're acting out or anything like that. So I would say it's more wide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And even if you would have said it was narrow, I would have been okay with that too. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do. I mean, because for me, like if I thought it was more narrow, I don't know, I guess my perception of what narrow is or what narrow means to me is that, I mean, and I'm sure that there are aspects in certain things like around my own insecurities, like I need certain things to be said a certain way. But that doesn't mean that I'm not willing to hear those things. It's just like the way that my brain operates and the way that I start spiraling in certain situations. Like if I hear it in a certain way, it's easier for me to accept it and like be able to actually internalize it and make something from it. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that as narrow. I would say that's still wide. It's just Mm -hmm. our ability to kind of maneuver and meet someone else's needs in the space of a wide connection the narrow is more the avoidant and do what i say to do and if you don't do what i say to do then this is what happens like very consequential 
So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good description, the consequential piece of it, where there isn't that liberty to express ourselves or where there isn't that liberty to make mistakes or to heal or to repair the relationship if there was something that came up that was hurtful to one of us. Because we, I mean, we have boundaries in our relationship, especially over like certain things. And I see boundaries very differently than a narrowing, because I think you're really accurate in that that narrow is the, there is usually like a determined consequence or the fear is, is driving that consequence that if one of us were to get hurt, it would show up only in that way. And I also think like with boundaries, we have different roles to each other, like in a lot of relationships. And some of the roles that we play with each other determine those boundaries. And we have to figure out which role we're in to know what we're focusing on or how we show up or what we ask or how we respect that differentiation. I guess like a part of me is like curious what those walls or those barriers in a narrow perspective, like what those things really are. Like, are they the ultimatum? Are they consequences? I mean, is it really just fear? Insecurity. Jealousy. And then I guess for everyone, it could be something different. Right. But like, I don't know, there's a part of me that wants to believe that like there is something familiar for everyone who has in some way experienced a narrow form of connection. Like what is that underlying piece that kind of unifies the, that border? Or am I just making stuff up because like I want to believe that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, and as we talk about in Imago... A lot of it depends on how we were raised, our caregiver stories that then impact us or how we adapted to our caregiver stories. And there's wounds in that. And so those wounds dictate sometimes, if we're not aware of them, what we believe is possible. That I don't, like for instance, if someone believed that even subconsciously, like not even, not even knowingly, if someone believes that they don't deserve like an open love or an unconditional love, then they would seek out someone who is more conditional. Like you have to be these certain things in order for me to love you because they're connecting more over their wounds than the possibility of what it could look like if they healed those wounds. That kind of goes into like that idea of if we believe we are unworthy of love or unlovable, then we will allow and make ourselves believe that we must be needed. Let me mirror that back to you because I think that's really important and I might not get it accurately, so please help me out. If we believe that we are unloved or unlovable, then we will seek relationships where we are needed. Is that right? Yeah. Or at least where we feel needed. Where we feel needed. Yeah. I mean, because then it's giving us some sort of purpose. 
it's giving us a reason in our brain that this this is why this works not because they love me i mean because what is there to love really but they need me and therefore i can i mean this gets into that that age-old story of the savior complex like i need to save them i need to Mm -hmm. fix them i need to do all these things like it's because i need to be needed and and like deep down like i don't really believe that i'm worthy of being loved by someone mm-hmm. which we could turn around and be like well because we don't really love ourselves and we really <laughs> want someone to really show up and save us and but you know i've never had that happen josh <laughs> me either well and that's i think there's a lot of truth in that for both of us and for a lot of people that we start with the seeking of love as like a concept of need and we want to be needed we need to be needed the other people need us that person needs me and somehow that's supposed to like solidify that experience of love it's like it gives their love a purpose yeah i mean so this is a question does love need a purpose to be love right there's a theology question for you. At one time in my life, I probably would have. Sure. Same. It's kind of like going from a mathematical equation to a very quantum concept of unknowing. It's the idea of when we're afraid or in fear, we try to make as much sense of whatever that experience is. So we can try and rationalize away whatever the fear, belief is. But the more you kind of allow yourself to settle into the fear, you begin realizing that it's like not really a big thing or a big deal or whatever the case may be for you. And I kind of see what you're saying very similarly from a very rudimentary level we believe that love has to mean these things Mm -hmm. so as we begin or allow ourselves to experience love as we see it or know it then yes it has to meet a lot of checklists markers but the more you allow yourself to grow and heal beyond those pieces like you start realizing that love really isn't a checklist it's a it's almost like it's a state of being yeah rather than an emotion i have to feel yep and i think when i see people move into that that area of like hostile codependence as you mentioned which i'd like for you to explain here in a second when i see people move into that it's almost like they have lived in that fear for so long that they are starting to resent it or be disappointed in it and become very angry, deeply sad or depressed and don't know what to do or don't think they know what to do with the intensity in which they are feeling betrayed or taken advantage of or not able to reconcile what they've been through. 
Can you explain that a little bit? Like, what do you mean? Like, what they've been through? Like, within the relationship? Prior to the relationship? Both. Because it's that internal piece of experiencing it, which then gets externalized onto someone else. And hostile codependence is the idea of, I am only this way because of you. And if you would change, I wouldn't be this way. It's like feeling that you are being set up for failure or being set up to be a certain way based on someone else's actions. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of like that classic abusive relationship. Like you made me hit you Mm -hmm. or you made me cheat on you or those types of things. Right. I mean, but I don't think that it has to be quite so overt either. Like, I think right. this can be a very overt thing. Yeah. Or, did I say overt again? Covert? It can be very covert. <laughs> but yeah. And I think it does start internally. For sure. Like the hostility? I think the hostility really does formulate internally before it gets put out into the relationship or someone else, whether it be passive or active, covert or overt, because whatever that fear is formulating internally, whether it be, you know, you betrayed me or you hurt me or you didn't do what I expected you to do, it becomes very angry. And so that energy has to go somewhere. And sometimes people end up punishing themselves covertly or it becomes the overt form of you did this you hurt me why did you like why did you do this yeah i keep thinking that it's the projection of that behavior that resentment that internalized hostility and you're projecting it onto another person and saying that they're the cause yeah You're the reason I'm hurting. You're the reason I X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. And what I see a lot of times, if people weren't allowed to express that, if there was a more significant, like if there's a power struggle with like a parent or a caregiver and that was diminished in someone, then it then gets turned internally inside the person and they end up self-harming. And I think another way, like, yes, the power piece, but just as much as like that hostility kind of squashing the, that hostility and fear in another, that toxic positivity, like you're not allowed to feel that way, mm-hmm. like can also be the other side of that same coin that like you, you shouldn't be feeling sad. Like, right. I mean, and I do recognize there's a difference between like encouragement and positivity than like toxic positivity completely being oblivious to someone else's pain and refusing to allow them and shaming them for feeling some type of way right i mean which still goes back to like that power dynamic yeah and if we take it to the contrasting type of partnership more of that wide experience of connection 
there is like an honoring that both people can have power. What you're saying about like that honoring of that power, it like puts me in the mindset of it's the honoring of another's experience without feeling I have to own whatever that person is feeling or experiencing. Mm. And I think once we're able to kind of differentiate or step outside of another person's experience, we start widening that frame of how we can connect with someone. And it gives us permission to recognize that we don't have to be swept up or kind of entangled in their own emotional turmoil or whatever. And we can be present for them. We can hold space for them. I think that's so true. Like not to get swept up in their experience, but that doesn't mean we aren't present for them. And it also means that we are not in charge of fixing it for them. And that is the piece where I find the the lens narrows. That you're causing this feeling, fix it. Or I have to, and it goes back into that abandoning yourself to be something for someone so they don't feel some type of way. Having them abandon themselves so that you don't feel some type of way. Abandoning them, then they feel some type of way and then you have to try and fix it. Or just abandoning them and feeling like they're feeling completely left alone. Or you feeling some type of way and them not showing up for you in some type of way. So it's this constant weaving of hurt that never really gets reconciled because we're not really honoring the other person for who they are and their own experience. And I think that does make the difference when we look at the wider versus the narrow, like that honoring of their experience. Because then if someone does ask for something and it is accepted, then there can be that coordination of stretching or maneuvering in the relationship, which is very different than owning, demanding, and fixing. How would you recommend to start questioning the stories that we have and hold and where they even come from so that we can begin widening our frame? I think people can start in a lot of different ways about this. Sometimes it's knowing that you're in a cycle and you don't know how to break it. And so really like taking space or time to step back and like indi- like individually look at that cycle and not where the other person is going wrong, but more so how you are participating in that cycle. And then also learning your fears. If you can become aware of your fears, you are inviting yourself to actually have a conversation about them, whether that be with yourself or someone that you trust that can be open and listening to them. And a lot of times people experience that in their bodies. They get the tightening of the chest, they get the the throat closing, the rush of the blood through the face. It's that reaction that happens in the body when you're moving into that fight, flight, freeze, faint, fawn experience. And even by being open and curious to those sensations, you can start to like name words that identify those fears. Like I really fear being alone or I fear 
not being worthy or I fear being disappointed. I think for me, I really did have a significant fear of being alone. Like I can remember through high school, through college, and even with friendships and activities, there was a definite distinction of me engaging in a certain way in relationships because I did not want to be alone. And so I've had to identify that as a fear and figure out how to like open that relationship with myself or be open with others about how I want to be in relationship with them in order to move through that healing. I think addressing our fears can be really challenging, especially when we take offense and take personally things that are happening within a relationship or partnership of any type. Because when it becomes or is seen as a personal attack, and well, you're only doing this because it's me. And it's really hard to even begin becoming aware of how you are playing a part, especially if it's, well, I'm always the victim, which is essentially the fear that I'm always going to be hurt. Or I need you to do this so I won't feel this. It's funny, if Kevin ever listens to this episode, he'll laugh because I think I was pretty clingy when we first met. Like I wanted to spend all of my time with him. (laughs) I think our friends would even attest to that. Yeah, me too. I mean, mine was, can I trust you? So if I'm around you, then I know you're not going to do anything that I'm going to end up hearing about that's going to end up really hurting me. Mm. So. Mine was more of, I love the way I feel when I'm with you. And so if I'm with you, I'm going to feel this way. And if I'm not with you, well, then it's the horrible feeling of alone. Josh, what about for you? How do you see people moving through their stories to get to a wider experience of connection? I think that this topic is really dense and really kind of tricky to talk about. What, it, what helped me? Therapy, honestly. It helped recognizing that how I and my partner deal with things is very different. And I'm the type that really needs to talk about it right now because I need to feel better. And he's the type that just like talking about it's really not going to fix anything. So what's the point? So I think the more we are able to begin recognizing that we are different from our partner and the more that we're able to kind of separate each person into their own person, the more we are able to kind of start begin that differentiation process. And I don't by any means begin to believe that this is an easy process. Like it's taken me years to even get to where I'm at right now, like at least five and I still have work to do (laughs) but I do think the more we are able to begin like questioning the beliefs that we have the easier it 
can be to begin being open to seeing it differently, but if there is an unwillingness to even begin to notice those things, I mean, that is an entirely different topic. I mean, that's the resistant, but if you're willing to begin doing the work, like some of this may require therapy, to be quite honest, because you're literally rewriting pathways in your brain. That can be really hard, but I do think that it takes a certain amount of awareness and a certain amount of a willingness to feel uncomfortable in those feelings that we've tried so hard for so long to avoid, while being present to our own true experience, inviting others to be a part as a means of not wanting them to fix it, but as a means of being witness to. And I really like what you said about seeing, like the way I transcribed it in my brain, like seeing different possibilities, like we say seeing different possibilities, but it's seeing different storylines, it's seeing the different patterns, it's becoming more and more aware that the one experience that you're having is not the only experience that is happening. And then taking that into a space where it could be witnessed in therapy or with someone that you trust and have that support and being able to see the multiple stories that could be playing out. And because when we're hurt, our story is the most important story to us right then. Right. And it's really hard to begin to even fathom that other people are experiencing their own stuff at that moment. Right. I mean, how can you be hurt when I'm hurt this bad? Yep. How can you feel whatever you're feeling when I'm in this much pain? Mm-hmm. But I do think this is a, it's a very tricky topic. It is. And you know, if I were to say what I want someone to take away from this, I would invite people to see that there is a wider lens than what you're experiencing in that one moment and that there are multiple variations of how you can experience and act in those partnerships. And just to be curious about that. One of the things that made the biggest difference to me was a question that Lori asked me when I was going through my process of therapy to work through this stuff. And it was in those moments where I needed someone to recognize my pain, show up for me in a very specific way, that very codependent, wide, narrow, or not wide, but very narrow perspective was what in me needs to change in order for this to be okay? What in me needs to shift in order for me to be okay with the fact that they are not feeling the same way that I am? Mm. Or what in me needs to shift or change in order to be okay with whatever that story is or whatever that experience is? Like, because that became a very powerful mantra that really helped me recognize that I have to own my own experience. I can't expect anyone else to do it for me. 
Isn't that interesting, that word own? It comes back into the self instead of the other person. And as always, thank you, Abby. And thank you, listeners. You can find us on our website at www.stillpointhealing.com. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Still Point Healing. And you can reach us at the podcast at So You Can Heal at stillpointhealing.com. And as always, thank you very much. Bye.